Welcome to Yes Collective On The Go, where we bring you the audio versions of our most high-impact popular articles from the therapists, researchers, and other experts in the Yes Collective app. On The Go episodes are hosted exclusively on our members-only feed and in the app. In this episode, we're bringing you How to Talk to Your Teen About Relationships by health professor and sexual health expert, Dr. Jenna Curtis. Enjoy. Jenna Curtis, welcome. If you want to say hi real quick. Hi, great to be here. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So we're going to dive right in. I'm going to be reading it and Jenna is going to be elaborating, just giving a few thoughts. Uh, So here we go. So the title is how to talk to your teen about their love life. So it makes sense that parents would be conflicted about teen romance. On one hand, we want the best for our kiddos. Loving, intimate partnerships bring life-changing joy and connection. And yet, aren't they a little young? Maybe this could wait until they're older, when things calm down, when we've caught up on laundry and they've finished college. It isn't just the worry that our children might be growing up too fast. We also know that dating can bring rejection, heartbreak, and worse. In terms of helping children take risks to learn essential life skills, dating might be ahead of driving on the parental fearometer. The good news is that just like with driving, we can equip our kids with skills and tools to help keep them safe, even when we can't be with them. Jenna, do you want to say a few words? Sure. So it makes sense that this would be a really intimidating conversation for parents to have, not just because it's a high stakes conversation um, in terms of how incredibly important love and relationships are in our lives, but also because often we, when we were children ourselves, didn't get great messages and great conversations Mm. about this. So this is a high stakes conversation that we have to have that maybe has never been modeled well for us. Oh, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Well, I am resonating with that. All right, so let's dive in. So here are five quick tips to consider as you think about how and when to teach your child about sex and dating. Number one, decide to start a conversation. It's tempting to wait until they ask to start dating or someone in their class gets pregnant or some other trigger By initiating the conversation, we get to choose the setting when there's time and privacy and think about what we want to communicate. For a first talk, it's enough to introduce a topic like dating, sexual behavior, teen pregnancy, et cetera, and ask your child what they know, what they think, or what they feel about it. The goal is to help your kiddo and yourself to get comfortable talking and sharing feelings and questions, not to exhaustively cover an entire subject. And because you're not waiting until there's an issue to resolve, these early talks can be casual and low-key. Family events, school happenings, TV shows, or movies can all serve as prompts for conversations about love and relationships. Jenna, what do you think? In my own parenting, one of the things I decided as a sexuality educator was early on, not only was I going to talk about sexuality and connection in in normal, healthy ways, but also that there were going to be certain things that I, as a mom, wanted to talk back to. Right. Uh, So so my my prompts are not just it comes up or there's a thing. Or, you know, our kids are getting older, we need to talk to them. But also when I see something, I you know, think about the messages we get about relationships, relationship violence, 
Um, there's been some really on PG stuff that's happened in politics um, about how women are talked about or how women are treated. I use all of those things as a prompt to say, oh, did you notice this? Or, hey, I heard this. Here's what I'm thinking about that. What do you think about this? Um, and it becomes like, like any other habit that we cultivate. Mm. Once you start noticing the opportunities to sort of have these conversations and sort of touch in about it, it just becomes a natural part of your parenting practice. Oh, and that, that takes away some of this. Again, the, the worst thing that we ever did for sexuality education for parents is creating the idea of the talk, like this monolithic, single, <laughs> high stakes, one roll of the dice. Your kid is either going to grow up to be a normal, happy, healthy, loving adult, or you're going to mess them up forever. Yes. And that's just not fair. Oh, I love it. And I, and I love how for this first tip, it's decide to start a conversation, not decide to start a lecture. Yes. <laughs> and and sometimes, like, sometimes, again, what did you think about this? Or, oh, I heard somebody's dating in your class. What's that like? Yeah. Right. And then just listen to what they have to say. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, so number two is reflect on past lessons. So children are constantly observing and learning from their environment. By the time we have any sort of sex talk with our kids, they've already learned a ton about love and intimacy from us and our interactions. If we're asking our adolescent children to behave differently than what they've observed growing up, it helps to openly address how and why they could do that. We want our kids to learn from our mistakes and have it better than we did. And it's not reasonable to expect them to reach a better place if they followed the exact map that we used. It's okay to talk about your own mistakes and what you've learned from them. It's also possible to talk about unhealthy behaviors or dynamics without blaming other people in your child's life. For example, your mom and I didn't do a good job communicating when we got angry or hurt, or it took me a while to learn that asking for things I needed to be happy in my first marriage wasn't being selfish. Okay. Jenna, can you elaborate on this a bit? Sure. So I think lots of times parents think that if they've had problems in their own intimate relationships, if they are divorced or not currently in a relationship with their child's other parent, that somehow um, they're broken and they can't model healthy behaviors for their kids. Mm. And some of the best, best parenting I've seen around this have been parents who have really authentically and honestly sort of owned that this is hard. And, and I know it's hard because, you know, your dad and I struggle with this or just because you love someone doesn't mean that they can magically understand what you want. I actually almost think that those parents who do have the sort of perfect Disney fairy tale relationship may actually create an unrealistic expectation for their children that everything is simple and perfect. Oh, wow. And I don't believe anyone's relationship is that. But if that's what you're modeling for your kids, you might not be getting into the nitty gritty of all the skillful work you have to do to make this really work. Wow. Oh, I love that. If I mean, for me, it feels like, oh, I'm being let off the hook. Like, I don't need to create this perfect ideal scenario that we can talk about repair and, you know, at what to do after the failures happen. Yeah. That, yeah. And the fact that this is sometimes hard and painful work, but mm. part of loving someone and being connected with someone is working through difficult times and being skillful, even when we don't want to be mm. like, what a fabulous lesson to model for our kids. 
that when things are important, we we continue to work at it, even when it's hard or uncomfortable. I love it. So that that was reflect on past lessons. And the next one is share and center your values. So loads of research tells us that parents are very influential, maybe even more than peers, in shaping children's values around relationships and sexual behavior. Parents are most influential when adolescents feel that they have a close, connected relationship with their parent. By sharing our values, hopes, and fears with our children, we give them a framework for understanding family rules and boundaries. Because adolescents need to explore and refine their own values on the path to adulthood, Create space for your children to, to share their thoughts and ask questions about how you arrived at your family values. Okay, Jenna, can you say a few words about this one? So this is my official permission letting every single parent in the world off the hook for being the cool parent. It is not your job to conform to your child's values or pretend that the things that they are doing don't sometimes concern you. Can we still use slang like no cap and uh, I don't know? Well, only if you're prepared for the eye rolling and cringing, <laughs> right? But, but our parents don't, or our, excuse me, our children aren't looking for other peers. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for someone who is sort of above this fray of adolescent hormones and identity seeking and all of that. So all of the research says that even though it feels like what our kids are looking for is for us to be their friends, Mm -hmm. the way that we really help them and what they really appreciate is our being really honest about our values and why they matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we are authentically connected to our values and our child, then we are really influential in helping them follow those values. Yeah, I'm detecting a theme here. A lot of like authenticity, like connecting with w- what is authentic and and real. Yes, even right. if yeah. it's not, even if it doesn't feel that it's ideal or pretty, like who we are as parents is really important. Oh, love it. Yeah. So number four is remember that all emotions are real. Leanne Rhymes was 14 years old when she recorded "How Do I Live Without You." In the 25 years since that billboard hit, we've all learned a lot about love. But the feelings that accompany love, loneliness, and desire don't really change over time. If anything, adolescent feelings might actually be more intense because they are newer and less well-regulated. It might be tempting to downplay the emotions that our teens share as just puppy love or adolescent drama but they are every bit as real and important as Leanne's and our own junior high heartbreak. By validating our adolescents' emotions and working with them to make meaning of their feelings and experiences, we can help them act in healthy ways that are consistent with their and our values. Jenna, can you say more about this one? Sure. The the worst thing we do to ourselves as parents is tell ourselves we've got to get it right in one shot. One of the worst things that we sometimes do to our kiddos is tell them that what they're feeling and thinking is something they're going to outgrow. Um, Feelings aren't things that we outgrow. You know, the reasons behind them, the way that we process them, all of that changes, but pain is pain, love is love. And so as hard as it can be to credit a 13-year-old with the same depth of emotion that it takes to have a billboard hit, 
those feelings are really real. And, and reminding ourselves of that keeps us from conveying to our children that we're not taking them seriously, uh, which is a sure way to sort of disconnect and have them stop coming to us. Mm, yeah, I love it. It sounds like this is such a awesome pathway to connection, like taking them at their word, like taking them seriously. Yeah. Right. And I think I think it's easy for us to to take emotions seriously when there are emotions that we're comfortable with. Mm. Right. So if our kid, if our kid is five and they say, mommy, I want to grow up to be a doctor. You're like, yeah. good house. <laughs> of course you can. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I want to be really good at school and study really hard. Great job, baby. Yeah. Uh, or I love you, mommy. It's like, okay, I'll take that one seriously. <laughs> you're the best parent ever. But, but when our kids tell us things that are difficult or mm. hard, um, regardless of whether we think they are factually, objectively true, yeah, those emotions are real. Okay. And the fifth and final tip is give yourself a break. Many parents are worried that they don't know enough to teach their kids about sex or that they don't have the right teenage experience, maybe because they are, different, they are a different gender than their child or grew up in a different place and time. Good parenting doesn't require that we be subject matter experts in all things related to our kiddos. Instead, it's our job to love them and prioritize their growth and well-being within our family and as they become adults. If you provide the love, connection, and values, it's fine to outsource the content knowledge. Here's a great list of sexuality education resources compiled by the Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine Refresh Facts and Fill in the Gaps. Oh, um, and just to let the listeners know, all of this is linked in the article. So um, you can go in and get all this stuff at another time. It's not only okay, but incredibly awesome to allow your children to be the experts in their own lives. Let them teach you about teen life, the 2022 edition. Or if you're listening to this in any other year, <laughs> that edition as well. Jenna, do you want to add to that? Sure. I, th I think this one is self-explanatory. We don't have to be content experts in the things that our kids are passionate about. Um, we support those passions. We provide guidance based on our values. Um, and we find, you know, just, so we're just talking about horses. We find the experts in whatever it is yeah. that matters to our kids. And we vet those experts and then we connect our kids. Um, and it's our job to provide the big picture support. Absolutely okay to outsource the details around specific stuff that we just don't or can't be experts in. Yeah, perfect. So it's natural to be a bit nervous talking about sex and relationships with your children. So shift the focus from a single high stakes event that is the sex talk to a series of ongoing conversations and check-ins where you ask questions, listen, and discuss experiences, behaviors, and values. This isn't one make or break conversation. It's a continuation and expansion of the lessons you've been teaching about love and connection ever since this small human first entered your life. This journey takes authenticity, connection, and courage, all of which is good practice because before you know it, it's going to be time to start driver's ed. <laughs> Jenna, do you have any closing words for us? Folks can do this. It is um, important work. I know that it's challenging, but like with any other practice, we start small and we praise ourselves for incremental steps. Mm, beautiful. Jenna, thank you so much for joining us for Yes Collective on the Go. 
Can't wait to have you back. Always a pleasure, Justin. Thanks so much. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents, so let's spread the love.